Well, as John has just mentioned, my name is Austin, and I am one of the pastors here at Circle, and I am so thankful that you've joined us on Good Friday. Now, I need to ask you a question. When you came in this morning, were you looking for Easter eggs? Did anyone find any? Now, to be fair to anyone who is now looking under their seat for a little chocolate egg wrapped in foil, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not the kind of Easter egg that I'm talking about. There is a different kind of Easter egg that is becoming more and more popular in movies and TV shows. Some prime example of these kinds of Easter eggs can be found in movies made by Pixar or Disney. Maybe some of the most popular examples of these kinds of Easter eggs can be found in Marvel movies. Easter eggs in this context are the kinds of things that a storyteller hides in a scene or in the dialogue that reference to a larger story. They often also allude to something significant. Easter eggs, when we find them and they're properly understood, they should make us go, did you just see that? Did you know that in every Pixar movie that there is an Easter egg reference of A113? If you were to spend your entire Easter break watching Pixar movies, which sounds like a great idea, you would find A113 hidden somewhere in the scene. Now, why this obscure reference? Well, if you're an animator at Pixar, you would pick it up immediately. A113 is a subtle, a subtle nod to the classroom for character animation at the California Institute of Arts the classroom where many Pixar animators got their start. They all include this Easter egg in their movies as a nod to their shared point of origin. Again, Marvel also employs the use of Easter eggs as a treat to die-hard comic book fans. And they also use them to allude to what might be happening in the future. If I was to get a quick show of hands, how many of you have waited for the end credit scene in a Marvel movie? I'm assuming a lot of you. Those are the moments where the diehard fan that dragged you to that movie likely said, did you see what just happened? In these kinds of movies, when Jess and I watch them, I am constantly shaking her arm saying, did you just see that? Did you hear what they said? Do you know what this means? She thinks I'm a nerd, don't worry, it's, this isn't a mystery to her. Now, we could spend the entire morning looking at examples of Easter eggs in these kinds of movies, but if I'm honest with you, it would take a ton of time to explain each one. And that's kind of the point that I want to make here. Easter eggs are these small but complex things hidden in the story. The beauty of them is revealed when we have a little bit of background. 
and we start to see their significance. And when you think about it, the Bible is kind of like this. It's full of Easter eggs, especially when we get to the New Testament. There are things that on the surface seem really insignificant. But when they are properly understood, they can be absolutely mind-blowing. They can make us go, as we read them, did you just see that? And when we read, this, when we read the story of Jesus' death on Good Friday, there are some really important Easter eggs that you may have missed. The kind of Easter eggs that when we understand them, they help us to understand what's happening in the story. But before we jump to that, let's do a little bit of a recap. If you joined us on Palm Sunday, last Sunday, you know that in the story, Jesus has entered Jerusalem in a kingly fashion. And it's here that a plot to kill Jesus is starting to form. If we fast forward a little bit in the story, we see that the plot to have Jesus killed is in full swing. Now, after a meeting with his disciples and a time of prayer in a garden, Jesus is betrayed by one of his friends, and he is arrested. He is put through an unfair trial and is brought before the Roman governor, Pilate, where he is sentenced to death by crucifixion. Now again, this is just a recap of the story. If you want, you can dive into this story in full for yourself. We've included a couple of references on the screen for each telling of this story. Where we will enter this story to look for Easter eggs, is in the last moments before Jesus dies. So if you have your Bibles handy or your Bible apps ready, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 45. For just a little bit more background, here is the scene. Jesus has been nailed to a cross alongside two criminals. It would have been an absolutely horrifying scene. You saw a video interpretation of it at the beginning of the service. Three men hanging from ancient Roman torture devices left to essentially suffocate. Here's where the crowd would have stood watching and waiting for Jesus to die. And it's in this waiting that we enter the scene. Again, Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. 
at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split. Even in just these few verses, there are a ton of Easter eggs. But there is one Easter egg here that can help us understand what happened on the cross that day. Did you see it? Did you see it when you walked in this morning? It's the curtain. I'll read verse 50 and 51 again. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He dies. Jesus dies. And it's at that exact moment that the curtain becomes really significant in the story. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This detail may seem really minor to us, but it was significant enough for Matthew, Mark, and Luke all to mention it. It's significant to them, and so it should be significant to us. Because I believe if you understand on Good Friday what happens to the curtain, we can see what happens on the cross. Now, before we dive into this curtain, I need to warn you, this Easter egg is massive, like Vagerville Easter egg giant, like that big. That's how big this thought is. It's like I said before, some Easter eggs take a ton of background work and their context takes a long time to unpack. To explain all of the background of the curtain and its significance would take an entire lecture series. And I know no one here signed up for that. So don't worry, we're not gonna do that. But to give necessary background, we would need to create an elaborate web of details and context. So here's what I wanna do as we jump into this idea. I want to give us three guiding questions. Question number one, what is the curtain? Question number two, why is it necessary? And question number three, why should this matter to us? These guiding questions will keep us from entering into the weeds, or maybe more so me from entering into the weeds. But for those of you who want to head right on into the weeds, I do have some additional resources for you throughout this morning's message. So question one, what is the curtain? Well, we need to start by locating it in the story. As Matthew tells us, this curtain was found in the temple. Now again, the temple itself is a huge theme in scripture. Because just like the curtain, it holds a ton of significance in the Bible story. And it's honestly just too big to unpack here. But luckily for us, our friends at the Bible Project have done a masterful job of unpacking this theme. We have provided a QR code to a short video on the theme of temple in scripture. And we're also going to include it in the discussion guide for your circle group if you're looking to explore more on that. But what I want us to know about the temple for this moment 
is that it is at the epicenter of the first century Jewish life. This is where they believed God's presence dwelt among them. And it's at the center of the center that this curtain would have been. And I mean, this curtain would have been massive. Like, it is no small window dressing. According to first century Jewish historian Josephus, the temple in Jesus' time would have had a a floor-to-ceiling height of about 60 feet. For a bit of perspective, our auditorium ceiling to floor is about 30 feet. So our auditorium is only half of the size. This curtain would have been twice the size of the room you're sitting in now. And according to other commentators, this curtain was thick. If you take your iPhone out, the average iPhone length is four inches. That's how thick this curtain would have been. So almost 60 feet high and four inches thick, which, I mean, is a far cry from the curtain we have on stage here. It's actually about 10% of the size. So it's safe to say that this curtain was massive. So based solely on this fact, its massive size, the fact that it was torn in half is shocking. It might be similar to trying to tear a phone book, but that's not what makes its tearing significant. To discover that, we need to look at why it was needed at all. Why was the curtain necessary? Now, to answer that question, again, we would need to do a lot of legwork to understand it in full. But we can see why it was necessary by A, examining again where it was located, and B, when it was brought into the story. Again, the curtain was located in the temple, in the center of the center. It would have been between the inner sanctuary where the priests worked and the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwelt. This curtain separated humans from being in the direct presence of God. But why was that necessary? That answer can be found in the, at the very beginning of the biblical story. It's actually in the Garden of Eden that this curtain first shows up in the story. Not in a physical way, but in a symbolic way. You see what I mean? That as we start to unpack this complex Easter egg, it starts to create this intricate web, which takes us all over the story of Scripture. Again, This is a massive and complex Easter egg in the story. But it all starts in the garden. It's in the Garden of Eden that we see humans and God living in right and perfect relationship. But if you know the story, you know that that doesn't last long. It's through human rebellion and their desire to be like God that this perfect union between us and God is broken. And it's in response to human rebellion and what we call sin that humans are sent out of the garden. 
And it's here that the curtain makes its first appearance. Genesis 3, verse 24. After he drove out the man, the he here is referencing to God, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So how is this a reference to the curtain? And how does this help us unpack the curtain's purpose? Did you know that the image of the Garden of Eden is deeply woven into the temple and its curtain? If you were to read all that was written about the tabernacle or the temple that King Solomon built, you would discover that its entire design was to be a microcosm of the garden. The temple was to be a mini version of creation. And it's at the center of this mini Eden temple that the curtain, res- the curtain exists as a reminder that you are no longer in paradise. And just like how God set cherubim to guard the entrance to the tree of life, these angelic creatures were woven into the curtain as well. To the best of our knowledge, this is what the curtain would have looked like. The image of cherubim in between us and God's presence, just like in Genesis 3. This curtain would have reminded you that you are not in perfect relationship with God. And in fact, you are completely separated from his presence. Why? Because of sin. Because of human rebellion. And because of that, and because of sin, we are not holy. And we are now unable to enter in to the holy presence of God, like was experienced in the garden. In fact, only after sacrificing an animal and only once a year could the high priest enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And it was only through the sacrifice of an animal that you could be made temporarily right with God. Because as Paul tells us, the wages of sin was death. There was a whole series of laws and rituals in place to follow. But the reality was is that that didn't actually solve the problem. We still didn't have direct access to God like we experienced in the garden. Now again, there are a lot of complex themes to unpack here. I have two more Bible Project video references for you if you want to explore this on your own. The Bible Project does a great job of unpacking the idea of holiness in Scripture as well as the the theme of sacrifice. But to summarize all of that, the curtain was necessary because it acted as a barrier for us between the holy and powerful presence of God and our broken, fallen selves. To enter into that space under the law would have resulted in death. There is a really crazy story in Leviticus, that book that you often just skip past, 
of this exact thing happening. But we'll save that for another time. The curtain was necessary because when sin enters the picture, we aren't able to be in God's presence without dying. So why does this matter to us? Why does what happened to the curtain at the moment of Jesus' death matter to us here today? Well, it's because what happened to the curtain puts into perspective what was accomplished on the cross. This massive curtain was supposed to act as a barrier between us and the holy presence of God, and it tears. It no longer separates us from his presence. If you were a first century Jew reading this story for the first time, you would have said, did you just see that? This is significant. This 60-foot-tall, four-inch-thick curtain tears in two all on its own. But why does this matter to us? This should matter to us. Because Jesus' death on the cross did something that none of us could have ever imagined. Jesus created a way for us to know God. He removed the barrier between us and God's presence. These two moments are intimately connected, the cross and the curtain. It's through the breaking of Jesus' body on the cross and in his death that we can now pass through the curtain and can be reconciled to God. We can enter again into relationship with him directly, no longer needing priests or sacrifices. The timing of Jesus' death and the tearing of the curtain are no coincidence. It's not a coincidence that the exact moment Jesus gives up his life, that the visible barrier between us and God's presence is removed. And it's in this sacrifice of Jesus that we can now enter God's presence with confidence. The author of Hebrews brings this all into perspective for us. He writes, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He continues, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. It's because Jesus gave up his life that we can be reconciled to God. And it's through Jesus that we can enter into God's presence and come to know our Heavenly Father intimately. This is what the torn curtain represents. There is no longer anything keeping you 
from the loving and merciful presence of God. Our sin no longer keeps us out because that's what Jesus came to forgive. And it's by the grace of God through Jesus that nothing, let me say it again, nothing can keep us from God. Because of Jesus and through Jesus, we can now be reconciled to God, not by the law, sacrifices, or on human effort. The curtain was torn as a powerful symbol on Good Friday to communicate that God has created a way for each of us to be reconciled to him. And this was only possible through Jesus. We could never have done this on our own. We could have never tore that curtain. Notice again that it tears from top to bottom, not bottom to top. No matter how hard we tried, we could never have ripped or torn it enough. Only God could have done this. And he did it. And he did it in the person of Jesus by laying down his life as the final sacrifice. So it's at the torn curtain that we reflect what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross on Good Friday. The tearing of the curtain should echo in our minds today because it's on the cross that Jesus accomplished the greatest thing that anyone could have ever done for us. He made a way for us to access God directly. He made a way for us to enter into God's presence. We are going to enter into a time of reflection before communion this morning. And before we do that, I'm going to tear the mini version of our curtain as a symbol on Good Friday. On Good Friday. We're going to tear it as a reminder to all of us that it's because of the cross that Jesus made a way for us to be in his presence. It is through the confession of our wrongdoings to God that we can enter freely into God's presence because of what Jesus has done. In tearing this Easter egg, we are reminded that it is through Jesus that we can experience forgiveness and we can experience life and life in its full. So as I tear the curtain, you picked up a little thing of communion elements. I want you to place that in your hands now. I want you to place yourself in front of this curtain with the body and blood of Jesus in your hand as a representative or a representation of what God has done today. That it is through the breaking of, of Jesus' uh, body and his blood that we can now enter through the curtain. And as you spend a time in reflection, and as you look at the curtain thrown open, ask yourself the question, do I see where this leaves me? There is no longer a barrier between you and God because of Good Friday, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. 
Would you accept this gift of God that God has given you, and would you enter into his presence through Jesus? Do you see where that leaves you? Christ has made a way for you through his body broken.